Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. So, hello and welcome to the Opus Wealth Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe here with my partner, Evan Wall. Evan, how are you? Doing great. How's it going today? Good, man. Good. Long time no see. Right. Yeah, it's been a while. But really, really excited to have our guest on today, um, Emily Bishop. Emily is a great friend and client and um, and really just a, an, an expert in this space. I'm really, really excited to have you on, Emily. Um, before we start, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself to the audience, sort of, you know, a little bit about you and and uh, and then we'll kind of get get into the topic. Absolutely. So thrilled to be here. I'm really, really excited you asked me to do this, Yvonne, and right back at you at amazing person, amazing friend, and helped get our money under under organization. <laughs> I say under control. I don't know if that's that's the best word. Yeah. Um, so really happy to be here. So again, Emily Bishop, I am, let's see, I am a professional fundraiser by trade, actually. I've been a professional fundraiser for over a decade, um, mostly dealing with high net worth individuals who are going to make significant, sizable investments to and NGOs, nonprofits, um, or international uh, NGOs. But my background before that um, was in public policy. I have a master's in public policy with a concentration in children, youth, and families. I worked in the U.S. Senate for a while as a legislative aide for a U.S. Senator, focusing on issues of education and childcare. And I care really, really deeply about these issues. I also currently sit on the board of an organization called the Child Care Council of Westchester, which works to increase quality accessibility of childcare in in Westchester County in New York. Yeah. I have two kids, um, two little kids, a seven year old and a one and a half year old. So deep in it, in the childcare. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I just, I really care deeply about this issue, both for how it affects families, everyday lives, but also, you know, how it affects the greater economy and of course kids. So looking yeah. forward to jumping into this conversation. Absolutely. So we were having a conversation recently because a cl another client of mine was trying to wade through the options between having a nanny and having an au pair. And really just, I didn't have enough information about sort of the au pair nanny space to even give them you know, direction, right? So it brought up the conversation around childcare and all of the different you know, complex equations. It feels like we 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 end up running through to make the proper selection for for each individual household, right? So, you know, I reached out to Emily based on your work in the in the Child Care Council of Westchester just to give me a lay of the land as to what the options look like and where should we be looking. And um, so, again, I'm I'm excited to kind of have you on for the listening audience. The idea today is just to get some insights or really great best practices when you are searching for trying to find either an au pair a nanny or or what you know when you're waiting through those daycare options you know what are the things you should consider uh, yeah. what are the questions to ask and I know when when Joanna and I were going through that process we had 
very little clue and we got very, very lucky, but it was kind of a nightmare to get there. So yeah. why don't we just kind of start with, you know, where, where you think best, you know, discussing yeah. an au pair, you know, what, what do you think? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I think I'll sort of start by saying to uh, any of your listeners out there, if this feels hard, it's because it is hard, um, you know, to, to kind of zoom out before we get into these individual options. Childcare is actually a crisis in this country. And, you know, we don't have to get into all the policy details, although that is, like I said, my background. But, you know, across the country, we're seeing households pay about eight to 20% of their income on childcare, which I'm sure, Yvonne, that makes you cringe because yeah. you know, <laughs> that's number. a lot, yeah. you know, mixed with really long wait lists, mixed quality in daycare. Of course, you know, at the higher end of the income spectrum, you have way more options. Whereas if, you know, your privilege doesn't lie there, it's really, really a tricky, tricky situation. So if it feels hard, it is hard. I will say I um, saw this meme one time that I always laugh about where it's like the meme was like, when you have kids, there are no childcare hacks, dot, 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 except for living near your parents, um, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, I think just speaks to the fact that like having extra hands around really can make a big difference. I'm not saying everyone should do that. I don't do that. Obviously not possible. Just kind of painting that broad picture. And it is a real problem in this country. Let's zoom back into micro. And I will kind of sort of start by saying there's really like three main options. I think if you're a new family trying to figure out what to do, you know, I think there is daycare, which could be a daycare center, could be something more informal, like, you know, your neighbor having a daycare. That is really hard to go into because it's so informal. There's not a lot of information. So I'm going to kind of leave that one aside. Let's talk about daycare centers. Then there's a nanny, which would be somebody that you hire to bring into your home. Um, we'll talk about that a little too. And then there's an au pair, um, which we'll also talk about as well. So I think those are kind of like the three main buckets of what your options are. Would you agree with, you know, do you have anything to add to that, Yvonne, before we kind of dive into what those options are? Or do you want to give any sort of like personal story about what option you chose or like how you made that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, it was, we're pretty set on daycare for us, you know, the integration of having other kids uh, in the mix um, was important. Joanna was not all that thrilled about having somebody live with us in our space, um, somebody that we didn't know. So again, that's one of one of the one of the the challenges there. Joanna and I both work, so that was also part of the consideration that you know some 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 households have to deal with. Um, Ev, did you your kids? What, what was the structure for your kids? It's yeah. An, so, it's, oh, sorry, Evan. For us, it, I mean, it's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing issue. So I have three young kids, two, four, and almost six. And my wife is is home with the kids and has been since since our first was born. And so, you know, when we had, and we, by the way, live 30 minutes from my in-laws and my mother-in-law is like superwoman, the most helpful mother-in-law. Uh, you got the parenting hack down. Yeah, yeah she is. She And every everyone, every friend uh, that interacts with her is like, tells me that she's, she's the best. So we're super lucky and it's still not enough. She, because she's super grandma, she helps out both with our kids and also uh, my wife's uh, brother and their three kids. So she's got six grandkids that she's juggling back and forth. And so, you know, we can't take all of her time. And so having three young kids at home, even, you know, even when they're in school or camp, driving them around to different activities, it's near impossible. And so we, we've, there's, there's always conversation of who, who can we find just to 
help out just to be in the house. But the problem we've always run into is like my wife needs very specific times of when is most helpful. Right. And so like a nanny or a, 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 a babysitter and a nanny, like the same thing. I don't know if that's like a, you know, a degrading thing to, to say babysitter, but um, to have, you know, someone in the house for let's say two days a week from, you know, very specific times, there's not a lot of nannies that want that, right. They want full-time full-time work. And so we're just, we almost feel like we're just going through nannies all the time of, we thought we found a great one. And then, you know, maybe she found a a better opportunity that was more full-time or, you know, so we always have someone new coming into the house and any help or more hands is, is all helpful, but it's always a conversation in our household. Yeah, for sure. It's so hard. We have both, my older daughter was in daycare almost her whole life, uh, take COVID out of the mix, um, because she was, you know, three, four when we were all home for COVID. Um, my younger daughter was in daycare, then we had a stint with a nanny, and then we went back to daycare. I think, you know, we'll go into some of the pros and cons, but a friend of mine when I was pregnant with my first child, oh, and I will say my wife and I both work full time. Obviously, that may be an important thing to start with. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine said when I was deciding um, what to do about childcare with my first child is she said, you know, think of it this way. If your nanny, um, has to call out sick, you have to call out sick. Whereas at daycare, if someone's sick, you have backup. That's obviously just one piece of the puzzle, but that kind of was the tipping point for us. Again, work, you need the reliability of the everyday care, you know, COVID changed all of that. Um, but that's that was the tipping point for us. Um, we had a nanny for a short time because we couldn't get off a wait list in Westchester. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my nanny experience um, when we get there. But for the most part, we found daycare really works well for our family for a lot of the same reasons that yeah. you got. Yeah. So I think the the one that we that I generally know the least about and and sort of really does kind of seem like a black box is is the the au pair route. Like I, yeah. I don't know, I know I don't have a lot of uh, friends or clients that have uh, an au pair, and and the very few that I do have really not had a great experience. So I'm I'm curious, just in general, like can you share a little bit about what it is? You know, n- not necessarily like why it may work or not work, but just in general, sort of how it works. Yeah, sure. So um, the au pair program is basically an international cultural exchange program. You know, a variety of countries around the globe are entered into this official program. It's a program run by the Department of State because you need a visa to participate. So it's, you know, sponsored by the U.S. Department of State and other international governments. So it's a genuine, legit program. Um, you, You can probably get the best information about the program on the U.S. Department of State website. But basically what it is, is that, like I said, a cultural exchange program that, you know, you hire an au pair, typically through an agency. So you would work, you know, there's private companies that help a family do this. So a quick Google search will bring up, you know, some of the main companies basically that act as like the intermediary or the subsidiary. So you hire someone and they come and live, you know, from another country that is governmentally involved in this program. That person in the United States, they have to be age 18 to 26, or that's like the United States's rule for 
you know, where they have to fall. Um, they can work up to 45 hours a week. They are required to be fluent in English. Um, and then you are required to pay for their, or to give them lodging. Usually you're required to have a specific bedroom. So you can't like be like, oh, sleep on my couch for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, they either run for 24 months or 12 months. The term au pair, I thought this is really interesting that I think is important to call out is actually French and it means unequal terms. Um, so it, that that's sort of a good lens to look at it because, you know, you may think like, oh, I'm hiring this person to like, come help me out. Well, that person's also coming to get, you know, obviously a job, but a cultural experience too. So you just want to make sure you're thinking about both sides of that equation before you were to enter into that. You know, like I said, a lot of online resources for, you know, the agencies that can help you navigate a lot of this stuff if it's, you know, something you want to do. I have two friends that have au pairs that have had good experiences. I think some of the real sticking points are that this will come up in their nanny conversation is just but too, but just transparency around expectations, understanding the, you know, the au pairs experience as well. Like, you know, it's not just a job for them. It's a cultural experience for them as well. And, you know, I think some of the stickier stuff that people have said that they've had challenges with is like, driving cars or like what to what they can what they're quote unquote can do or allowed to do what boundaries your family has set in place on their off time um you know all of that kind of stuff that i think you just have to be willing as a family to understand be clear about and then be clear with any potential candidate yeah. but the two friends that i have that have all parents say it's really really good for flexibility because you know they live with you and you can set your hours together so one of my friends is a doctor so her hours are all over the place so you know that really works for her with an au pair as opposed to a daycare where it's like nine to five um my other friend both she and her husband have real political jobs so very like round the clock kind of work not that your au pair can work around the clock but you know you can be more flexible with the hours again set up and up front. And they both talk about, you know, the relationship that the au pair has with their kids. And of course, like there's a learning from your kids too, learning a, to cultural experience for them as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of pros, um, but just something, you know, to enter into with a real seriousness. Yeah. I, I think that's the one piece that obviously until you just mentioned it, treating it as a cultural experience and, and something besides monetary, you know, there's an exchange of cultures, right? There's an exchange of experiences, not just somebody from a foreign country coming to your house to take care of your kids and lives with you. Like those are very two different ways to view the experience. And Mm -hmm. I think if you go in with the potentially if you go in with that proper lens of the cultural experience, then you're going to view the you're going to, you know, you'll have a different perspective on it. I think that that's eye-opening, I think for me in particular, and also knowing that it's sponsored by the U.S. Department of State. My perception of it was there are these agencies, you know, they're not really, there's no governing body. There's no, you know, they can basically, they're, they're like screen. It's like, you know, it's like uh mail or bride. It's like, you know, you're, you're basically getting matched up with this international employee. Like, there's a lot of maybe it's just me, but I think in general, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about the actual program. So I'm excited to hear that there's a little bit more legitimacy than than what I had thought. Absolutely. And yeah. again, two families I know, two great experiences. Of course, you know, it's going to vary person to person, family to family, but definitely something to consider. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you know, I've heard both. I've had I have clients that absolutely love their au pair and other friends that went through a few before they found one that that they liked and. Just some interesting stories along the way. Yeah. It, it always amazed me that 
and maybe you can speak to this, that au pair, as far as I know, au pairs are, I think, far less expensive than a nanny. You know, you do have to provide them with with lodging and food. And I think most people will provide them with a car. So there's there's a, those other expenses, but to have almost round the clock coverage to, you know, to an extent, it's interesting. Like, why is it so much cheaper than a nanny? It's a really good question. I mean, I think one thing is, is that you have to look at expense more than just money, you know, your time, your energy costs a lot, you know what I mean? And so the time and energy, probably emotionally that your family has to put into, I don't want to say the word managing an au pair, but you know, adapting to life with an au pair is probably a lot, you know, you want to, like I said, it's, I, I think the most successful experiences that I've heard of are treating the au pair like a member of your family. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that comes with conflict resolution that comes with setting expectations up front that comes with discussing meal plans and groceries and discussing your values. So that's an expense or a cost that you don't have with daycare. So like, do you know what I mean? I don't, I wouldn't look at it as like flat money. This is this amount of money. And this is this amount of money. I think different, the costs show up in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's a completely different dynamic, right? Especially if you really are going to buy into the cultural exchange aspect of it. You know, if you had a an exchange student saying at your home, you're going to do things with them. You're going to, there's going to be things beyond just the nine to five aspect of it. And and you're right. There's a whole bunch of other sort of um, nuances to that relationship that I don't think many people truly understand when they go into it. And again, this is just my perception of it. But when we were, when I thought about it for about 30 seconds, it was having somebody come here, live here, take care of my daughter, Move on be you. in my space, yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah. And that was, that was, it was just a, the monetary exchange. So, yeah. Yeah. um, but I, um, I think so, so for the, for the daycare piece, yeah. you know, mo- moving on onto that, I, you know, I'm very curious kind of what your recommendations and thoughts would be around choosing a daycare and, you know, if it's the right thing for you, like what, what's your, you know, metric? Absolutely. So again, very personal to each family, the most, maybe the least emotional comment I will make probably on this whole podcast. But I think one of the biggest things you have to consider <laughs> is how this will logistically fit into your day-to-day life. Meaning what's the commute like? Are you going to have to sit in traffic to get to the day, you know, to get to daycare? You know, is it going to add 30 minutes onto your day? Is it going to take, you know, you know what I mean? Like the logistics really matter because you do that every day. When my oldest daughter was in daycare, we were living in Brooklyn and it was so easy. We walked from our house to the daycare, which happened to be right next to the subway. So then would walk onto the subway, go to work and coming home off the subway to the daycare, walk home. The logistics were so easy. There were ups and downs of that daycare. For the most part, it was wonderful. But every time we encountered a bump on the road, we were like, this is so easy. There's no reason to change this. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've spoken to other friends. We had an experience when we first moved out to, out to Westchester that the only daycare we could be in was about a 25 minute drive away. So that was drive 20 minutes, 25 minutes, drop off our child, drive 25 minutes back, and sometimes do it again at the end of the day. And that took a toll on us as parents. It took a toll on my older daughter who was having to come along on the ride with us. Mm. And at that time, my younger daughter was really little. So she would sleep in the car, mess up the nap schedule. So mm. you, I, I really can't like overestimate logistics here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm such an emotional person that it's seems almost crazy for me to say that, but it really matters. Yeah, so that's the, pra- the like- practicality is extremely important, right? I Absolutely. mean, it's just, you know, that's, that's, uh, yeah, 
Absolutely. And and it will definitely it will definitely make up for those minor bumps in the road that, you know, as long as your child is cared for, you can really like, you know, you can really excuse a lot of other things if the logistics work out really well. Yeah. And I think so. I think like transitioning away from logistics, that flexibility piece is big. I think if you're going to be successful at a daycare, you have to go in with a flexible mindset and understand also from the daycare's point of view, too. You know, and what I mean by this is they're not going to necessarily do things exactly the way you're going to do them at at your house. And because they're caring for a bunch of kids, you can't say you need to do it this way. They have rules to follow. They have protocols to follow. They're doing what's best for the group. So you have to have a flexible mind going into it if you want to have a successful experience. For me, that was a real learning curve. I wanted my kid to sleep at the right time, to Mm -hmm. eat specific things. And it actually helped me grow as a parent to really to lean into that flexibility. So, and I think it can be really good for the kids too. So that's kind of like one other thing I'll say about daycare. But what you asked about was choosing a daycare. And I think a couple things to think about. One, make sure they're accredited by national organizations. Um, you know, you'll see that on their door, probably there's a little sticker that says accredited by, there's a couple different childcare organizations that can accredit. So I don't want to say like one is better than the other, but if they're accredited, they're probably following all the rules, obviously licensed and all that. Most states have pretty strict rules about daycare, a child to parent, I mean, child to teacher ratio, things like, you know, they can't sleep with other things in the crib. I mean, as long as they're following those rules, you're going to be pretty safe. You're in a good, good situation. You're probably going to be in a pretty good situation. So that's kind of like the baseline. Next, I would say, try to observe a classroom, you know, see how the teachers feel. So much of this comes down to teachers, individual personnel. And, you know, we can be, you can be in a great daycare and have one teacher that doesn't mesh with your kid or being an operate daycare and have a teacher that's really great. So like there's so much there and unfortunately we have a massive childcare um worker shortage because of really low wages. Mm-hmm. Again, that's another policy problem, but just understanding that that's what you're going into. And then keep in mind long wait lists. You know, there's really an accessibility challenge as well, mostly due to that worker shortage due to low wages. And so, you know, it's not crazy that if you're pregnant to get on a wait list for a daycare that you like, that's totally normal. I think you can, this is where like a local Facebook group can really come into play. Like if you look on Facebook, if you're a new parent, Um, joining a local Facebook group for parents in that area, peruse around, you'll see people chattering about different daycares and where has a good reputation, where has a bad reputation. Obviously take everything with a grain of salt because what, again, what works for someone's family isn't going to work for everyone's. But, you know, things like that, you know, I, the organization that I sit on the board of Child Care Council of Westchester does have like a directory of all the local daycares, where has wait lists, where doesn't, who's accredited, you know, all that kind of stuff. So if you're local, you can go to their website, check that out. But those are some things to consider. There are some other like really specific questions you can ask yourself. Things like, what's the daily routine? You know, do you have a curriculum? Um, How many, is there staff turnover? You know, a, a lot of those regular questions you can ask, I just would really be cautious about putting too much weight on like one thing because it's people, it's a business. Like, do you know what I mean? There's just so much that goes into it. And, yep. you know, maybe there is a lot of staff turnover, but maybe that's because they can't afford to pay their staff as well as they should. There's just so much that goes into yeah. it. So if yeah. it feels good, it's probably going to be good. Yeah. I think the advice for folks of of when you are pregnant to start interviewing or start going to different places, because those wait lists, at least in Westchester, were significant for us. I mean, we made the decision that 
Mia was going to go to daycare as soon as she could. And I think that started, if I remember, at 10 weeks. Um, That was the youngest that an infant could. Yeah. They'll accept. I've seen more like 16 weeks, but yeah. But, yeah. I think it was somewhere in that in that in that realm, and and we had interviewed a bunch of different daycares. We ended up going with a place that was local to us. It was like seven minutes away, and everything. They were opening up a brand new location, and so we were very excited about that. And then, I think about a week before Mia was supposed to go to school or to daycare, um, Joanna went online saw the place again to download the forms. And there was 15 different comments about how bad the daycare was that had popped up since we had gone. Uh, And and obviously there was a little bit of a crisis meltdown in the house. And we started looking at all the different daycares and calling. We probably called 35, 40 places. Nobody had an open spot except for one. Yeah. For And and one that we would like. We got very lucky because it happens to be right next to my office. Um, but starting that process early, going to the Facebook pages and consistently checking in before you start is the second piece because that really, you know, we could have we could have been in some trouble um if we weren't able to find that place. But the waitlist were like, you know, hey, yeah, absolutely, we've got a spot for you. No problem. Uh the spot's available, you know, five months from now. It just yeah. wasn't like you could start tomorrow. So I think that's that's great advice. Really, Yvonne, Yvonne, do they does Mia's daycare have a, a camera, like a live camera? And if so, how often are you checking it? Yeah, so so they send pictures. They don't have a live camera in the in the classroom. I think it, that would be I would not get any work done. I would yeah. have I would have my screen set up and I'd have like a separate screen that's probably larger than my regular screens, just watching her all day. Um, but the but that was one for us where we were getting constant picture updates and constant updates on what she's eating that day and you know when she started her nap and you know any other things that we need to know. So that was a big piece for us is that the ongoing communication throughout the day was one of our major criteria when we were looking at you know location, right? So again, beyond the logistics of it, like you know how how are we being communicated with through the the staff and. Yeah. Um, that for us was important. You know, others will give you like a sheet at the end of the day and tell you how her day was or how their day was. Um, I love the updates. I yeah. just love them. It's, it's so hard, but I love them. <laughs> it's it it does it, there's nothing you can do about it in that particular moment, but it's just like, oh yeah, my kid, you know, my kid eats better than I do. You know, I'm just glad she's having a good day. Yeah. Um, and I think for us that that that's definitely a, a was was very big on 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 our list. Two other things that I want to mention about daycare, if this is what you're considering, is consider um sick policies. So, you know, this is definitely, I would say, in the I personally have a lot of positives for daycare for me. It's absolutely the way I'm happy we went with our family and I would do it again in a heartbeat. But one pretty significant negative is if your kid is sick. There's usually some pretty strict policies Mm -hmm, around not sending your kid to daycare, obviously, to take care of, to make sure other kids don't get sick, but it can really disrupt your work week. So again, as long as you're prepared, as long as you know it, whatever you need to do to get by. But I think that's something to to go eyes wide in with, um, with there, you know, last week, one of my youngest daughters or my youngest daughter had hand, foot and mouth and she was out all week. And by the end of the week, she was basically fine, but she couldn't go back yet for contagious reasons. Obviously, I understand, but it just it can throw a real wrench in things. So yeah. be aware of that too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sort of the group structure has so many positives, but you know, the health piece of it is extremely challenging. And that's, you know, 
um, it's one of the things that you can control is somewhat with a nanny, right? I think that makes that is one big, big, big difference for 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 having a nanny. So I, I the nanny space I don't know much about. So I'm curious, yeah. you know, kind of what your process is like. And again, you know, I think that is becoming more and more and more popular, at least amongst the folks that I have a conversation with that are that are deciding to go with something a little bit more individualized, especially, you know, post COVID. Right. You know, with with the pandemic sort of behind us now, people are more and more and more aware of of the kids getting other kids sick. And, and again, that major inconvenience. So, you know, if you don't mind, just share a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we had an experience with a nanny and it really happened because we were on wait lists. We couldn't we couldn't get on a child care in a daycare because the wait lists were too long. So we hired a nanny. It was a great experience. Um, Where'd you find her? We found our nanny on a Facebook group, a local Facebook group helped connect caregivers with families. I don't even think I made a post. I think I was looking through other people's posts, saw uh, potential nannies sending in messages and I just privately reached out to her and we really jived from for right from the start. I think there's a couple of things that I would really advise someone going into a nanny situation to really think about before they do it. I think you should really treat it like a job, treat it like you're hiring. You know, I mean, again, we're looking for these, we're looking for childcare because we have jobs. So most people are listening to this, are familiar with hiring and management. And as weird as it can seem to treat it like you're hiring it's really the best way because you are, you're paying someone, you're, you have expectations for them to do a job and you want them to meet their expectations. So, you know, have a conversation with your partner, your spouse around what your values are as a family. Do you want your nanny to, to bring those to the table? Um, what your expectations are, you know, what, you know, where, what you want in that job description, make a job description, share it with, you know, your potential clients or potential uh, nannies and, have a, you know, have an interview process, have questions written down. I mean, really take it seriously because it's going to, the work on the front end is going to pay off. Go back to the values piece for a second. This was something that I'm glad I thought of. I thought of it at the last minute, but I really, mostly I thought of it because this is how I do a lot. You know, I think about in my own professional life, but like a company has values. You want to hire somebody that is aligned with your company's values. And so my wife and I looked at each other and said, what are our values? And how are we going to make sure our nanny aligns with that? And for us, you know, we're a two mom family. So we wanted to make sure that our nanny was coming into our space, being positive about that family structure, being open-minded. And so we were really explicit about that up front. And I think that allowed us to having that open conversation at the front end really allowed us to have a good relationship moving forward. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I love that. I, I think that's, I think that's incredibly important. You know, it's funny. I, I haven't seen it out here in Westchester that much, but oftentimes you'll go to the city and you'll see nannies that are pushing a cart or the stroller and they'll have on scrubs, right. Or they'll have on, you know, some type of uniform that sort of makes a clear distinction that they are working with or for the family and that they're not the parent of that child, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that sets up for that particular family sets sort of a boundary that this person is part of our family, but also works for and with our family. They're not, you know, um, they're not the parent, right. Or they're not the right or the mm-hmm. grandparent. Right. And for whatever reason, that's important to that family. I think those, that boundary or those, those values are, are incredibly important to set up front. I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's on one hand, it's probably easier to tell, 
you know, someone that you are literally, that's literally employed by you than your in-laws, Evan, around what mm-hmm, you want mm-hmm. to do or not yeah, to. That's certainly <laughs> um, a good yeah. point. <laughs> but, you know, there's that too. Then, so kind of like moving into the next step. So you hire someone, again, good places to look, care.com is great. Most people I knew know use care.com. I've hired one-off babysitters from care.com. Care.com also has a great resource that they can help you figure out how to pay your nanny with, you know, making sure you're following all like tax rolls and all that. Um, They can help you with that. So that's a really good resource. But again, local Facebook groups, really not trying to Uber promote meta over here, but there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, connecting with your community. And most of the time that happens on Facebook. But so say, you know, you do your interview, you get a great nanny and you're about to start. I think the other biggest piece for me was again, creating a contract. Like again, like you would, if you're hiring an employer, I mean, an employee and, you know, things that we made really clear in that contract were expectations. Like I said, this is probably in your job description, but can also be in your contract. Think of things like, do you want them to be on their phone? Do you want to say something that you don't want to see them on their their phone when you're with your child? Obviously with realistic and within realistic, mm-hmm. you know, boundaries. What about TV? Can TV be, if you have an infant, can TV be on in the background or no? What about if the kid's sleeping? Are they allowed to watch TV or no? I mean, this is, these are small questions, but it's really worth being explicit up front. If they take your kid out of the house for the day, do you want them to tell you that in advance or do they not need to? What about chores? What are your expectations about chores, food prep? Again, be explicit up front. And then, you know, finally, really crucial, decide about their days off. How many vacation days will they get? How many sick days will they get? What if it's a holiday? Will they get paid holidays? What about if they have jury duty? That happened to our nanny. She got jury duty. And that was like, I swear to God, we had the most best contract I could ever think of, but I didn't think of jury duty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, that was something in the moment. I was just like, oh yeah, go to jury duty. We'll pay you great. And then my wife was like, we're going to pay her for jury duty. Again, I'm not saying one way is good or bad. It's Mm -hmm. just think about it up front. So you don't have to deal with it. That's That's a big one transparent with your nanny so they know what to expect. Um, You know, if they have to leave an hour early for a doctor's appointment, are you still going to pay them the same day or are you going to pay them seven hours instead of eight hours? If they're, if they have kids and their kid is, can their kid come with them for the day? Is that okay? Is that not okay? Social media. Do you want to say something like, don't put pics of my kid on social media? Do you want to say that's okay? Like there's just all these things that are really worthwhile to think of up front. It can cause you a lot of headaches. Yeah. I, Cause I think the, the, the contract aspect of it. And again, you, you, your, your approach of hiring this person is, is really important because th- that boundary can get real. I would imagine can get really blurred as this person is spending years, but then, you know, hopefully years with you and your family, they mm-hmm. end up becoming part of the family, but there still needs to be that sort of professional dynamic there again they're not your in-laws they're not doing this for free you're paying them you know they do work for the family and there's got to be some black and white lines drawn so that it doesn't mess with the personal relationship i would imagine right so um that's one of the things that you shared with me previously emily that i thought was so 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 important is just setting those um those dynamics up front right and i think you bring up especially with the sick days right and and the days off because you, you don't want to feel guilty as somebody that has this person in part of your life. But again, you're also their employer of, you know, sh- 
do I give them an extra sick day? Like what happens if they're really, but because you also have to hire somebody else, right? right? So now yeah. you're doubling down on that cost for somebody that works for you. You know, there's, there's gotta be, I would recommend, and and I totally back you up on this as some sort of boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, and I think we've used that word several times on this. And I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, in that relationship The the daycare sets the boundaries for you, you know, exactly how much you're paying, you know, when they're on, when they're off, what you're going to get for it. But these other people that you introduce into your life, you know, on nanny or au pair has different structures in place. I, I love the conversation around expectations and, you know, uh, and, and that's all great. But I, I find the other side is because we're always struggling to find uh, a consistent nanny. And and for us, it's not a full-time nanny. So it's, it's a part-time nanny or, or babysitter, et cetera. So you know, having those expectations, it's hard enough to find someone that can show up, show up on the times that we need. And so I, I, I'm always encouraging my wife to just like, if, if we went out to dinner and, you know, cause we're paying them hourly. Right. So if, if we went out to dinner, it was like two and a half hours, like just round up, just give her an extra few dollars because I want her to want to work for us. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And so 100%. we're I like, I, I almost, yeah, I would love to have the expectation conversation and like draft a contract, but like I want her to come back most importantly. Yeah. Like I want her to be a resource for our family. And so it's a balancing act. Like a, you know, be at the same time, you gotta, you gotta be employable or a, yeah, a you know, be a good employer. Yeah, absolutely. And you make a really good point, Evan, too. I mean, a lot of this stuff I'm talking about is like if you're you know, hiring someone full time. So I think it's really yeah. different yeah. when you're hiring someone for like date night babysitter, whatever. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't hire my date night babysitters with a contract, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that would take way too much time. But I think you make a really good point about paying. I mean, you know, you're going to figure out what rate to charge, which is best for your family. But at the end of the day, like you want somebody to want to work for your family yeah. and like, really money talks. I mean, you know, and I think showing them that you value them by making sure you pay them for the work that they're doing is really important. And anybody, any parent that spends time with their kid knows that (laughs) it's hard work. Invaluable. Absolutely. You know, pay, pay these people well. And, um, you know, they'll, you know, I think, I think you'll see a lot of payoff there. So that's a really good. Absolutely. So Emily, as we kind of wrap up here today, um, what do you, what do you want to leave the audience with? You know, you've given some great insights on, on all three different structures. Um, Anything in particular you want to make sure that the folks kind of take away from the conversation today? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think as I'm talking through this, I think the theme of a lot of this and each of the scenarios, again, this is really on a micro level on, talk about, be really explicit. I think that's the biggest thing. Transparency, be explicit, Mm -hmm. talk about your values, be explicit about what you expect and what works for you. And, you know, be, have open communication. I mean, on one hand, yes, you're employing someone. On the other hand, these are people and these are your kids. So it's better to have the hard conversations than to not have the hard conversations. And the sooner you have the hard conversations, the easier it is. Um, And the fewer problems you run in down the road, you know, be respectful. And I think, that's really that that's sort of on the micro level. I think on the macro level, I would be remiss if I didn't call out again how much of a crisis childcare is in this country. I think COVID caused a lot of childcare centers to have to really scale back or close because, you know, they weren't getting the business which resulted in really low wages for childcare workers as daycares tried to pick back up again. And those lows wages haven't really picked up, but the costs have gone up. And so it's just a real crisis, both 
for families across all incomes, especially people on the lower end of the income scale, and especially for workers. Um, you know, I read something recently that said in 2022, um, the child care crisis cost the U.S. economy $1.2 billion in um, general growth because, you know, if people can't get child care, they can't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just just sort of thinking about that, you know, as you take your own, you know, do your own homework around you know, what what kind of policies matter to you and all that. It's just, it's really, I think it's really important to think about it in both the small picture and the big picture. Right. Well, again, thank you so much, Emily. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, to you, the listening audience, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to click subscribe below uh, to be notified when we release our next podcast. Great. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, and opinions stated are their own. Yvonne Watanabe and Evan Wool are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Evans California Insurance License Number 0H04936. Compliance Approval 2023-160867. Expires September 2025.